Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, last time I began discussing the noble principles of George Washington. And uh, he certainly was a man of, of great principle. I had just begun to discuss George Washington's hatred of slavery when I had run out of time. So for today's program, what I want to do is jump right back into my discussion on George Washington's handling of slavery. Now, I think I, I made the point last time is that George Washington was definitely a slave owner. Um, so was uh, you know Thomas Jefferson. So was John Adams. Um, but uh, George Washington really came to hate slavery. And it... it Several people bring it out, and I think uh, certainly Paul Johnson brings it out. I'm going to read a little bit to you from Ron Chernow today as well. And remember, Ron Chernow's book, Washington Alive, I think is superb. And uh, uh, it's a lot bigger than, than Johnson's book, but I still think you'd enjoy you know, having a copy of it. But the thing, the thing is that we, I think we have to be really careful of in, in our day is to not look at the... Uh, the fact that our founding fathers owned slaves as if it were, um, you know, the 20th century. And the thing is, is I don't think there's any way to excuse slavery. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to make excuses, but there were, there were common practices at that time. But even at the very beginning, let's say uh, right before the Revolutionary War, um, slavery really had not gotten a big stranglehold on, let's say, the South. Um, and even Johnson brings this out. And I just wanted to read just a few quotes about this or a few sentences about the numbers of slaves in the 13 colonies. Uh, the first census, and this is page 38, by the way, of Johnson's book, if you uh, want to follow along. It says, the first census of 1790 revealed there were 700,000 slaves in the 13 colonies. And that really represents only 20% of the population but it was up to 40% in the South. And I, I think that the thing is, is we have to realize is that it was the agriculture of the South that probably drove up the number of slaves. And uh, it, was, it was the agriculture and the economy of the South. Uh, it says, uh, but nowhere, this is Johnson continuing, but nowhere did slaves outnumber whites. And the institution appeared to be on the retreat so, so the thing is, I think, I think we have to understand that the founding fathers even grappled with it is not only how to deal with slavery properly, but how to also eliminate slavery. And I think, I think we could, we could again look at uh, many different things here. And I know I brought out in the last program that, uh, you know, so many today, uh, and even just recently, uh, you know, white men are considered the terrorists or privileged white men are considered the terrorists. 
And certainly uh, the way the left looks at people like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, they look at them as just privileged white men that really, you know, did a lot of damage to people. But one of the things we cannot forget, it was the African kings and chiefs that actually sold their own people into slavery. And so so there's... uh, there's more than white people at fault for for slave conditions, and again, uh, slavery is a great evil, and it really has been a major sin in this country. And certainly, um, you know, in the next few years, we're probably going to see uh, some horrible results of that sin. But it says, uh, Johnson continues, it said, It was made unlawful in England by the Mansfield Judgment of 1772, and so what Johnson is saying is the idea of slavery actually came with the colonists from England. And then two years later, Rhode Island followed suit with Vermont in 1777 and Pennsylvania in 1780. And so, so slavery was, uh, in, the situation was being taken care of, but gradually. And, uh, you know, there are certain colonies began to, to outlaw the use of it. And uh, to be honest, uh, as Johnson points out, there was still the belief in many people that that slavery could be abolished. And the way they were going after abolishing it was, as he says, gradual manumission. And that means, the word manumission just means um, the act of you know, freeing a slave. And so, so the, the thing is, I, I think people were, or the, the founding fathers were grappling with it, but uh, the way the economy of the, especially in the South, with the raising of tobacco and then next of cotton, it was it was uh, it, you would get rid of an incredible labor force if you just freed all the slaves. And so, I'm not saying that to justify it. I'm just saying there was a uh, an economic issue behind it. But as Paul Johnson says, Washington always disliked chattel slavery. He thought it morally wrong. And it says his disapproval, and and of course in parentheses then he says, hatred is probably not too strong a word, increased with age and experience. And so so it just shows that, that, um, you know, so, you know, as we grow up and as we change and as even the the nation began to grow, uh, here the, the first president or the first real leader in America was grappling with things like slavery and how to take care of it and how to get rid of it. And so so, so we have to uh, kind of give these guys maybe some benefit of the doubt and just not, uh, you know, blanketly, uh, you know, say they were all horrible slave owners that beat their slaves. And, and I think I can clear some of that up with you. Now, here's what Chernow says on page 110, and that he, he really actually kind of confirms exactly what... what uh, Paul Johnson says here, this is at the very bottom of page 110, and again, this is his book, Washington Life, and this is uh, by Ron Chernow. It says, uh, he writes, Washington's opposition to slavery took the form of a gradual awakening over many decades. He seldom uttered the word slavery as if it grated on his conscience, preferring polite euphemisms such as servants or Negroes or my people or my family. And, uh, uh, you know, it it it. it uh, I think it says a lot about Washington that that uh, he he did see. Well, he he did see the the slaves that he had as property of his own property, uh, 
but he still did not denigrate them or not not treat them as human beings. And so uh, I think Johnson gives a great kind of a great story about it, and we all we all love to hear stories. And I'm just going to read this to you again. We're back to page 38 now, Paul Johnson. This is again talking about Washington. It says in 1767 he bought a slave called William Lee, made him his manservant, and taught him to ride. And so, so here this slave was not just someone out hoeing tobacco. He was his actual personal manservant. And if you know anything about English aristocracy, a lot of a lot of these very wealthy landed barons and lords they had manservants, and and uh, uh, even Winston Churchill. You know, he he was a well son of the empire. He actually had a valet, you know, a man to help him, uh, you know, dress and get his clothes ready for him and things like that. So so George Washington made, brought this man very close to him. It says that that Washington also taught him to ride. In time, Lee became as fine a horseman as his master, and the two rode together in peace and war, hunting and fighting. As brothers, the general called him my fellow, a word carefully chosen. When he eventually gave Lee his freedom, and he would have done so much earlier, but that meant losing him, as there was no place for freed blacks in Virginia. In other words, uh, if he had freed Lee, he would have had to gone up to the north, the north, uh, the northeast, because, uh, you know, I guess in Virginia, once a slave, always a slave. But Johnson continues now on page 39. It says, He called the act a testimony for his attachment to me and for his faithful service during the Revolutionary War. So we have to really consider this. Uh, And Johnson makes this very clear, and I'm going to read again. This is page 39. Thousands of blacks served under Washington in the war, and he was deeply impressed by their dogged courage and loyalty and by the refusal of the great majority to take advantage of British offers to free them if they deserted. So, so here, a lot of people uh, you know, fought for Washington, a lot of blacks fought for them in the war, very loyal to him, and also the servants or the slaves that he had deeply loved him. And so, so uh, there's, there's a lot of things that, that uh, George Washington had to learn and uh, the, th- the thing is, I think it's interesting that Johnson brings out, and this is like pages 39 and 40, that Washington really, he saw slavery as as really, it was hard on the black men. And uh, essentially, it made them, well, uh, indigent. It made them poor workers. It, it, it kind of drove their own, you know, personal pride away from them. And uh, a lot of them, were lazy because of what slavery did to them. I mean, just capturing someone, and and it really would be de, uh, a defeatist kind of way to live. And so, so uh, he he actually um, hated slavery because of what it did to the men. And it it really it took away their manhood. It took away the pleasure of being a hard worker. And so, so I I think it's interesting that that uh, you know Washington saw all that. And so. Uh, you know, he, he did uh, discipline slaves that wouldn't work. But, uh, you know, I've worked for companies that disciplined me if I was not working. And so <laughs> so uh, we have to be careful, I think, how we how we look at all this. It is interesting that, that um, 
there is uh, again one of the reasons he hated slavery again just to just to make it clear is that what it did to the men and how it how it ruined their incentive and their desire to work hard and be what really be a man and be a hard worker but th- th- there's another reason why he really hated slavery and of course uh, you know I think a lot of this has come out in history but uh, as Johnson points out here, this is page 39, he says, Therein lay a second lesson for detesting slavery. A degree of intimacy was unavoidable, and Washington was painfully aware of its consequences. And so so what he's talking about is, you know, a, a lot of slave owners went after the women. And, of course, they had relations with them, and they produced, well, uh, out-of-wedlock children, and uh, this this happened even in uh, George Washington's own family. And I'm just going to read from the from the bottom of page 39. It says there was mixed blood in his wife's family, overshadowed by stories of Black Jack Custis. Indeed, in his own household, there was a black girl called Anne Dandridge, who played with his stepchildren Jackie and Patsy. But what they did not know was that Anne was also their aunt. Martha Washington's half-sister. And so here, Martha Washington's own father had had a relationship with a with one of the black uh, slaves. And, um, you know, he, he produced an offspring. Martha knew this was her half-sister. And essentially what Martha did to protect her, well, because uh, to set her free, she would have to leave Virginia. And so he, she really, you know, kept her as a household servant. And of course, George Washington didn't want to do that. But Martha kept her as a household servant because she wanted to have her half-sister close. And so so uh, we'll probably talk about some more of this, um, some more of their feelings on these kind of things when we, we'll do, we're going to do some more programs about Washington uh, and his wife. But uh, uh, you can you can see that George Washington saw there was a moral issue with with having female slaves and a lot of the the uh, slave owners were not very moral with their female slaves and he 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 knew that was that was creating a big problem um here's here's what johnson also says another example on page 40 it says washington discovered in 1760 that one of his household slaves who waited at dinner parties, was the unlawful offspring of a prominent local family. And this is a quote. I was informed, he wrote, that Colonel Gatesby Cook was disgusted at my house and left it because he saw an old Negro there resembling his own image. The slave was the colonel's half-brother. So so you can see that, that slavery, um, you know, it may have been good economically, but it really... Uh, was not good morally, and it was not good for families. Now, the the other reason why uh, Washington hated slavery so much is, uh, you know, how to treat slaves. And remember, he would have been a planter in, you know, a whole, uh, let's say, a whole colony of planters. And so, so uh, again, they were they were growing tobacco and they were growing tobacco in marshlands and that was not easy it took a lot of effort by a lot of men actually hoeing the rows of of the tobacco and so so uh 
you know, it, it was, uh, how do you treat your slaves? And the, the problem is a lot of them were runaways. And uh, it was a recurrent problem. So, so if you're building an economy, and again, uh, Washington actually grew to hate tobacco as well, and we'll talk about that. Uh, if we don't talk about that today, we'll talk about that again in the next program. But, uh, uh, you know, some of the other slave owners were very violent with people that were runaways. And, of course, George Washington uh, didn't want to do that. And here's, here's what, uh, what Johnson says on page 40. It says, The further problem for Washington was how to treat his own slaves. Runaways, as with all planters, were a recurrent problem. If you made no effort to get them back, your neighbors were angry. So Washington offered rewards for their return, and his advertisements survive in some cases. Much research has been done on slavery in recent years using oral tradition and other dubious methods. It is said, for instance, that his slaves were badly clothed, but this is contradicted by his advertisements, which describe in detail what his runaway slaves were wearing. And it actually, if you, if you look at what Johnson says and what Chernow says, I mean, George Washington made sure that, his, that the people that were uh, you know, on his uh, estate and they were uh, considered his slaves, he made sure they were well-clothed. And in fact, if you looked at the the uh, servants that were in his immediate estate, they were very well dressed, and uh, uh, you know, and a lot of them were actually skilled artisans, and so he had great respect for them. Now, the thing is, is is Washington uh, uh, not only uh, let's say clothed his slaves or gave them, you know, he he, he made sure they were taken care of. Um, he also educated them. And the, the, the thing is, is uh, when he died, uh, as uh, Paul Johnson points out, there were 300 slaves on his estate. But only 100 of them were actually working slaves. And so, so what you're talking about then is children and wives. And, uh, um, you know, but, but uh, George Washington felt a certain obligation to these people who worked for him. Um, Johnson says on the middle of page 40, he's talking about, you know, they, there's been a lot of, uh, you know, study into Mount Vernon and what was really gone, going on there. He said, attempts to reconstruct their accommodation at Mount Vernon and show it to be inadequate are likewise implausible. We know that Washington drew the line at hunting fugitive slaves with dogs, and then he refused to punish them by whipping except in extreme cases. He made efforts to have slaves baptized and educated. At the time of his death, of the 300 slaves on his properties, only 100 actually worked. In Latin American colonies, as well as in Africa itself, slaves were habitually worked to death. That was unheard of and unlawful in the 13 colonies. And this explains why slaves in the British colonies lived 50% longer than those in South and Central America. So, so the thing is, is, is so many people who want to tell just part of a story will, will try and make it believe that America, um, you know, has, has had the worst slavery, you know, the worst uh, treatment of slaves, when really uh, there was more than just George Washington that took very good care of the people that worked for them. And so, so we have to be careful that we're just not, you know, being sold you know, um, revisionist history. 
and so so the thing that he really did take take very good care of the slaves. Here's what uh, Chernell says on page 111, and I thought this was a really good quote. And uh, uh, you know, George Washington was was uh, was very very concerned about the health of his slaves. Now, you could argue, well, he did that because they were his property and they were, um, you know, uh, part of his his wealth. And, uh, um, you know, that may be true. But still, he took a personal interest. And here's what Chernell says. He says, whether from humane considerations or merely from regard for property, Washington was tireless in his medical treatment of slaves. His diaries are loaded with references to doctors and even to Washington himself tending sick slaves. During that frosty winter of his of his marriage, he grew alarmed by the death of four slaves by late January, three of them dower slaves from the Custis estate. As in the army, whenever trouble struck, Washington didn't shirk personal involvement. His direct management style became manifest that spring when smallpox cropped up at his western plantation on Bullskin Creek. At once he hastened off to Frederick County, and was startled to find that two slaves, Harry and Kit, had already died, and that everything lay in the utmost confusion, disorder, and backwardness. He rushed off to nearby Winchester to secure blankets and medical supplies, summoned the nurse, and instructed his overseer to quarantine slaves with smallpox. By the Revolutionary War, Washington made a regular practice of inoculating slaves against smallpox. He goes on to say the standard method was to scrape contaminated matter from the pustules of a victim in a mild, with a mild case of smallpox, then slip it on a thread under the skin of the inoculated person. This produced a mild case of the disease, which prevented the more virulent form. And so, so here, George Washington really did personally work hard to take care of his slaves. And I think it's interesting that, um, uh, George Washington uh, also, you know, he did he did sell slaves, he did buy slaves, but uh, when he sold slaves, he would not break up families, and I think that's that's very laudable. He he knew um, he knew where the families were on his uh, his estate, and again, there were four uh, four separate farms on his estate. But um, uh, it, it is interesting that. That uh, one one last point I'll make here, and you can make sure you read all of Johnson and then uh, Ron Chernow's chapter on slavery is is it's pretty balanced, and uh, I think he's he he works hard to be pretty fair about the whole thing. But but here's one last point I want to make on the slavery part is, and this is the middle of page forty one. Washington also disliked slavery because he considered it economically inefficient and the incorrigible enemy of good farming. And so, so the thing is, is, is he actually believed that slavery hurt farming, and uh, uh, it, he also believed tobacco planting. This system was made for lazy, self-indulgent landowners. Tobacco, especially in the tidewater, was labor-intensive, involving endless hoeing carried out by slaves. Four times a year or so, a ship from England tied up at the estate jetty. All of them had them. And the bales of tobacco were taken aboard. The ship also landed English-made goods, luxuries, or necessities ordered by the planter on his last call. The London agent sold the tobacco on the European market. 
because there was none in Virginia, and put the proceeds against the cost of the goods he supplied. The planter really had no control over the process, and with rare exceptions, planters were always in debt to their London agents, sometimes, as in Thomas Jefferson's case, disastrously so. The system was one reason for underlying anti-British feeling in Virginia. The system only worked at all because of slavery, and Washington detested it. So so uh, uh, next time we're going to uh, get into another point about uh, one of the very noble qualities of George Washington is he really did become an agricultural pioneer, and part of it was to get rid of slavery. So that's all I have for today's program. Uh, remember, next time we'll go ahead and continue our discussion of George Washington, the Man of Principles. Remember, our third and final book in this series is Hero, the Life and Legend of Lawrence of Arabia. Now, you can find both the book on, by Paul Johnson on George Washington, and you can find the book on Lawrence of Arabia on Amazon. You can also find used copies of the books at abebooks.com, and of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at JBLiterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for Just the Best Literature. And remember, you can leave me a comment at Facebook. So, until next time, keep reading. You've been listening to Just the Best Literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.